The scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms and from the gospel according to John. A reading from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. And now a reading from John chapter one. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him among whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us however we find ourselves this morning. Some of us are exhausted today. Some of us are looking for one word or one sentence or one idea that would bring light and oxygen to our spiritual lives right now. Some of us are wondering whether we actually belong in a group or a community that's seeking to follow you. Others of us here today are trying to believe, maybe for the first time or maybe again. Whatever the case may be, however we arrive today at this moment, help us to believe that you have seen to this moment that you have arranged all of this and you have something you want us to hear and trust to give our lives to even. So help us to be open to that. Help us to hear what we need to hear. Help us to know you see us and you know us and you love us. Give us grace to believe that now we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. We didn't know what to expect. We'd never been to a monkey forest before. (laughs) Visiting our eldest son, John Mark, who lives in Vietnam, we decided to visit some other Southeast Asia, as other parts of Southeast Asia as well. And so here we were at the Sacred Monkey Forest Sanctuary in Ubud, Bali, Indonesia. And we happened upon this sign. Now just look at this sign. (laughs) This is before you walk into the monkey forest and it tells you, do not panic. If the monkeys jump on you, please drop any food and walk away slowly. They will soon jump off. This is supposed to be reassuring. Don't run. When monkeys approach you, keep calm and don't scream. Avoid shouting as this may frighten them. And here's my favorite. Do not look the monkeys in the eye. (laughs) This is interpreted as a sign of aggression. Don't look the monkeys in the eye. Don't bring any kinds of plastics or paper bags. Don't, please take care of your belongings, sunglasses, earrings, accessories. I guess the implication there is that they will take them from your person. Do not ever touch, grab, or disturb the monkeys, especially the baby monkeys. Let me just go back to, do not look monkeys in the eye. (laughs) I can't read that without laughing. Okay, so you can take it down now, Jason. (laughs) Even with this sign, before the sacred monkey forest sanctuary, there was a line to get in. We went in. We didn't last long. The monkeys are aggressive, turns out, whether you look them in the eye or not. But people can't wait to get in. How do they stay in business? I don't know. In today's gospel reading, we have a group of people who were invited by Jesus to follow him, to come and see. Come and see, follow me, Jesus repeats in this passage. But he doesn't get into specifics about what they will see. There's no mention of follow me to betrayals, being misunderstood by your family, ostracization, attack, trickery, and finally, torture, cross, and a humiliating death. If Jesus had put that on the sign, I'm not sure anybody would sign up. So it seems that we have to put up our own sign, albeit a convenient one. It seems that we have in American Christianity a sign that says, come worship Jesus. Come experience Jesus, giving you good vibrations. Come use Jesus for your political moment. But we should know better. Unlike Nathaniel, unlike Philip, unlike Peter, the characters in this passage, we know ahead of time that following Jesus actually could get you killed. Or at least we should. Follow me, Jesus says. Come and see Jesus says, what does that mean for us today? A couple things. First off, follow me is an invitation to relationship. Because Jesus says, follow me. 
which is even more foundational and profound than just follow my teachings. And yes, following the teachings is paramount. We talk a lot about that around here. Don't get me wrong. But I want you to see that this is a personal invitation from Jesus. Jesus is saying, in effect, I will be in your life in a relational and personal way. That's kind of what he's doing with Nathaniel in this passage. He says to Nathaniel, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And later, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel felt known down to his very core. He asked that question, where did you get to know me? Nathaniel asked that question, and that's the way it was with everyone Jesus encountered. They felt two things, and it's the two things that everyone here wants, no matter what you believe as you tune in today. Nathaniel felt known, and Nathaniel felt loved. Known and loved. That's the power. It's what the psalmist is saying, as we read earlier. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. I wonder if you being known by God is wonderful to you. The knowledge is only wonderful to the psalmist and to you because both knowledge and love are conjoined. It's what every one of you want in your best relationships, that you feel known and loved. You say, this person is one person who knows all about me. They know me. I've been vulnerable to them. They know my weaknesses. They know my scars, physical and emotional. They know my problems. They know everything about me, my strengths, everything. And they don't respond with yuck. They don't respond with, yeah, no thanks. They love me. Full stop. Something healing, something holy, something life-changing happens to us when we are deeply seen, known, named, and accepted. But let's be honest. Nathaniel is a human being like the rest of us. He's not only a person in whom there's no deceit. He's a human like the rest of us. Because seeing, especially as we look at others, is always selective. We have choices when it comes to what we see, what we prioritize, what we name, what we call out in each other. The selves that we present to the world are layered and messy. Jesus had a choice when it came to seeing Nathaniel. I mean, what if Jesus had said, here's a cynic who is stunted by doubt. Here's a man who's governed by prejudice. 
here's a man who is blunt and careless in his words, or here's a man who sits around passive and noncommittal waiting for life to happen to him. Any of those things might have been true of Nathaniel, but Jesus looked past them to see honesty, a guilelessness, purity of thought and intention that made up the true core of Nathaniel's character. Or maybe Jesus was seeing in Nathaniel what Nathaniel could be, and he named the quality he wanted to bless and cultivate in his would-be follower, that quality that made Nathaniel a person of beauty, an image bearer of God. In a world of what have you done for me lately, this can be transformative. This dynamic is at the heart of every life-giving, healthy relationship. It's what happens in the presence, perhaps, of a good therapist or maybe a pastor. That sense of being fully known and loved instead of judged. Those are the people that have made the biggest difference in my life and in yours. It's what we all want to picture the good news, to be known and loved at the same time. And that's what Jesus is after in an encounter with him. Follow me. I see you for everything you can become under my tutelage, under my leadership. So that's one thing. Secondly, follow me is a challenge. It's an invitation, but it's also a challenge. A challenge to anything else you are tempted to follow other than Jesus. And here's the tricky part. We can easily be drawn into ways of being in this world that will hang the name of Jesus on it that are the furthest thing from actually following Jesus and all that he taught. Because to follow Jesus is to pay careful attention to what Jesus taught. There's no faithful following of Jesus without a sober assessment of what he taught and taking serious what he taught, versus merely just focusing on what Jesus did. Because following Jesus must always be informed by what he taught, or else we get what we witnessed last week. People who identify as Jesus followers doing things that Jesus would have nothing to do with and is antithetical to everything Jesus taught. Now let me just get specific with you, because... And hear me now, to refuse to name all evil with specificity only allows it to grow exponentially. To refuse to name evil with specificity only allows it to grow exponentially. How can I in good conscience, as your pastor, talk about following Jesus in the way of love without also talking about the biggest threat in our present moment to doing so, which I believe is Christian nationalism wed to white supremacy. I mean, they're always wed, because Christian nationalism is always an unholy mashup of God and country played to the drumbeat of racism. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state and often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. We have to name evil with specificity or else it grows 
exponentially. Brian Zahn defines Christian nationalism as this. Christian nationalism is the idolatrous conflation of Christian faith with American patriotism. Those under the sway of Christian nationalism essentially confuse America for the kingdom of God. The Bill of Rights is held as sacred as the Beatitudes, and the Second Amendment is as revered as the Second Commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Baptismal identity is eclipsed by national identity, and right-wing politics overshadows the Sermon on the Mount. The most needed theological correction, let me tell you, this is strong medicine, but it's the medicine we need. The most needed theological correction for American evangelicals at the moment is to learn to see America not as a kind of biblical Israel, but as a kind of biblical Babylon. Once we see America as a kind of Babylon, a superpower that seeks to encroach upon the sovereignty of God, then we can learn to live as faithful exiles in an idolatrous culture. This is the lesson set forth in the book of Daniel. It was also the experience of the early Christians in the Roman Empire. By virtue of their baptism, they became exiles in the land of their birth. Their total fealty was pledged to Christ alone. Allegiance to empire was incompatible with their Christian confession. Strong medicine, I know. I know. Someone says, Babylon? Really? Listen, if this country hasn't been Babylon for you, but it has been for so many others, this might be a time of reflection for you. As friends, we're not bashing our country when we soberly name its problems. To name it is to be on the path to healing it and making it a more just place for all to thrive. So I think we can say with full assurance that followers of Jesus have no business storming the nation's capital to overturn an election. No matter who is ensconced in the seats of power from Herod's throne to Pennsylvania Avenue, we believe Jesus is Lord and calls us to a way of love, not the mob's way of violence. As I have said before, we persuade with love, witness, reason, rhetoric, and if need be, martyrdom, but never force. And when Jesus invites these men to follow him, he's inviting them and us into a very different reality than the values of the Roman Empire or the American Empire. He's calling us into his peaceable kingdom of love. He's inviting us into a new way of living altogether that is frankly incompatible with the values of a military superpower. In my preparation for this week, I came upon an old sermon of presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry, on this passage. And one of the things he did is very simply pointed out that the book of John tells us that the point, what the point is of his gospel and it's found at the end of John, in chapter 20. There John states, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book. 
That's why he wrote the Gospel of John. So that in believing, you might have life in his name. Bishop Curry goes on to point out that all of us come into this world with no prior experience. We're all novices at life. Yes, we learn from the accumulation of the wisdom of humanity, absolutely, but none of us really knows what we're doing. (laughs) Let's just admit that. We need someone to show us how to live, to tell us why we're here in the first place, to show us what life looks like when it is, as Jesus called it, life abundant. So there's no life abundant in white supremacy. There's no life abundant in Christian nationalism. There's only violence, suffering, dehumanization, and ultimately death. Think of the squandered life of the disillusioned woman who traveled all the way from San Diego to Washington, D.C., just to preserve some notion of freedom and liberty that doesn't include all of us. Think of the the diminishment of our souls when they are given over to obsession with maintaining a status quo that benefits yourselves and you and folks who look like you or look like me. Jesus says, follow me into something much larger, much greater than your fears, than your obsession with national identity or safety or lust for power or your insistence on maintaining privilege and power. Jesus says, I invite you into a community of love. What Dr. King called the beloved community, where everyone has enough. When we see how we are all interconnected to one another. Here's what Dr. King said in 1965 when he preached here in San Francisco at Grace Cathedral. He said this, all of life is interrelated and we are caught in an inescapable web of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. When Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting you, challenging you to see life in this way, because it's really the only way forward. Then lastly, follow me is an invitation, it's a challenge, it's also a disruption. It's a disruption to whatever small dreams we have for this world. I don't know what Nathaniel and the others had in mind when they thought of a Messiah. We can speculate that it looked a lot like every other powerful leader they'd ever been around. One of my favorite lines in this story is how Nathaniel judges Jesus based on where he was from. (laughs) I love that sentence. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Sounds like a good San Francisco snob to me, (laughs) like myself, asking, can anything good come out of, I don't know, you fill in the blank. I I won't disparage any small town. So Jesus proceeds to tell him who he is, where he's been. I saw you under the fig tree, he tells Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is impressed. 
he immediately exclaims, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responds with the oft-repeated phrase from the theologian's Bachman-Turner overdrive. You ain't seen nothing yet. That was for all of you in the audience who are near my age. Just throwing that out there. Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. Greater things. Think about that. You will see greater things than these. No small statement. And yes, he goes on to reference the story of Jacob about seeing heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathaniel, Jesus is saying, I'm the bridge between heaven and earth, TBH. But that phrase, you will see greater things than these. That really got me this week as I studied this passage. How many of you need to hear that today? How many of you need to believe that you will see greater things in the current state of affairs? I sure do. I want to see greater things than incremental change to the status quo of white supremacy and Christian nationalism. I want to see greater things than the worn out ways of religiosity and just going through the motions. I want to see greater things and half welcomes to only some members of humanity in the church. I want to see greater things than a half-hearted attempt to hold back the destruction of our environment. I want to see greater things for our city than a city racked with addiction and homelessness. I want to see greater things than hoarding our resources with a worldview of scarcity. I want to see greater things than nations rattling their swords in endless war. I want to see greater things. How about you? I want to see liberation. I want to see peace. I want to see justice. I want to see equity. I want to see love. Jesus invites me and you, invites all of us to follow him, to see greater things take root, take shape, and begin to flourish right now. What greater things do you want to see? What greater, you can put them in the chat if you feel so led. What greater things in San Francisco do you want to see? What greater things in your life do you want to see? What greater things in your family do you want to see? What greater things in your children do you want to see? What greater things do you long for this morning? Jesus says, follow me. Come and see. Let's do this together to bring about greater things now. Debbie Thomas, in her weekly blog post, Journey with Jesus, says, What would happen if we left our comfortable vantage points and dared to believe that just maybe we have been limited and hasty in our original certainties about each other, about God, and about the world? To come and see is to approach all of life with grace-filled 
curiosity. To believe that we are holy mysteries to each other, worthy of further exploration. To come and see is to enter into the joy of being deeply seen and deeply known and to have the very best that lies hidden within us called out and called forth. I love that phrase, grace-filled curiosity, to believe that we are holy mysteries to each other, worthy of further exploration. Grace-filled curiosity seems like a great way forward into 2021. Follow me. Come and see. You will see greater things than these. Let's together take Jesus at his word. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would help us to believe that whatever those greater things we long for, that you have called us as a community together, not just one by one, but together to work to see these greater things take place. Give us grace as a community to drop all of our conditions in following you. And it may be today in this very moment is the moment to push reset in what it means to follow you. Wherever we find ourselves in that right now, give us grace to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.